Hey you guys, welcome back. So today we have a special guest, Dr. May, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and group therapy practice owner in San Diego. She is in her own recovery from an eating disorder and she really just strives to help women become aware of the systems that are in place to keep, basically keep us just hating our bodies, which has to do with, you know, the diet culture and Western beauty ideals and all that stuff that we are taught at such a young age. So in this episode, we're really going to be talking about self-compassion, um, how to unlearn, and as a woman, how to just take up more space and be your most authentic and vulnerable self. We talk about a lot of things in this episode, and I just hope your biggest takeaway is that you matter, and that we don't need to live in this black or white, all or nothing, right or wrong area. We need to find what is unique to us. So sit back and relax, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Dr. May. Hey, you guys. Welcome to the Empowered Podcast hosted by your girl, Miranda Lee. I hope you're ready to get confident, throw away the all or nothing mindset, fully surrender to God, and strive to be 1% better every day. Don't forget, you are enough, you are worthy, and you are loved. Alrighty, let's get this party started. So before we dive in to all the good stuff that we're about to talk about, can you introduce yourself and tell um, our listeners, who you are and what you do and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am Dr. May Casanova. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in San Diego, California. I have a group practice um, where I have clinicians working underneath me. We work collaboratively as a team to take a really holistic view at addressing mental health stuff. Um, in addition to that, I do some other work as far as like supervising and, and doing some consulting and things like that. But um, yeah, mainly I'm a group practice owner and then doing um, sessions with clients myself and, and part, part-time um, Instagram social media manager for the business too. That, that always has to go with it, right? <laughs> yeah. Wearing, wearing all the hats. I, I, I feel you. So do yeah. you work primarily with just women or men and women as well? Um, my practice consists of, of um, female and male identifying clients. Um, so we're definitely not um, specific in that way. I think that being, being a woman, um, you know, I connect a lot more and I thrive a lot more on those particular types of relationships just because there is that connection of shared experience. Um, as humans, we have connections of shared experience. Um, but I just get really excited about working with women and, and starting to push through some of those limiting beliefs that they have about themselves and get out on the other side. Yeah. So where do you think these limiting beliefs stem from? Cause I know before we started this recording, we were kind of talking about how women are really pushed to, you know, be small, like you said, figuratively and physically. So I think culture has a lot, has a lot to do with it. So what do you, what is your, you know, professional opinion on why we have all these limiting beliefs as women? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it starts. Um, I think it starts from a very young age. Um, I think that we model kind of how our mothers or how the female identifying, you know, parent caregiver in our lives kind of shows up. Um, I know for me, there was a lot of kind of, um, you know, body talk or talk around food or talk around food being, um, you know, bad or good. Um, in some households, there might have been, you know, the mom was took on more of the predominantly, you know, kind of like quiet or homemaker role or, you know, the, the father or patriarchal figure in the family kind of held a lot of the power. So, so they were kind of the louder, bigger ones. And then, you know, our, our mothers maybe were a little bit more small or timid. Um, but that in and of themselves, like doesn't, that they didn't start that. Right. So that in and of itself had started from, you know, just kind of culturally how, Western culture sees, um, sees women in that way. I mean, I know it bleeds over to some other cultures as far as gender dynamics and gender differentiations, but there has always kind of been this, um, sit still and look pretty, right. Be seen and not heard. Um, and then the, you know, Western ideal of, of what beauty is and, and the diet industry complex and beauty culture. So it's, it's coming at us from all different angles, um, we're not obviously born that way, right? We're not born with this idea that we're supposed to be small or be quiet or be timid or be appeasing um, in, in any way. Um, but it's something that's taught to us kind of in our primary households. And then we're just bombarded with it, you know, as we start to grow up and, and socialize and get out there in the communities and all of that pressure that's coming from those places. So do you think like this, leads to, I guess, trauma and, you know, other things, because, you know, if, like you said, it was our parents didn't just start this. This is something yeah, yeah. going on for such a long time. And, and I don't know, it makes me wonder, did, did the women back then really see it was an issue the way that we see it's an issue? I don't know, like what made us get to where we are now, where we're like, all right, we're not giving in anymore. You'll smash the patriarchy. Right. <laughs> Everything right. that they say. Yeah. I, I think that women are, are being more open about being braver. I was going to say women are braver, but I think that we've always been brave and we've always been strong. And, you know, we've always been such a grounding kind of foundational, you know, support for, or for our family and, and for society. But I think that we're just, we're getting braver about using our voices and uh, expressing these thoughts, feelings, and opinions that we have about things, um, showing up in space, um, you know, in, in physical space, being able to show up and, and take space, take up space. I do think that, you know, when you think about like a feminist movement or kind of things like that, or even the intersectionality of feminism, which is, you know, we could go on for days about that topic as well, but there was, you know, kind of this push to wait a minute that there isn't a, a differential between us as far as value, right. In any way between, you know, male and female genders. So I, I think that there's just been more opportunity for our, our voices to be heard, right? When you think about, you know, TV shows or, you know, cinemas that are being made with a strong female lead or a strong female voice in that way, or, or switching up gender roles within the family system, right? Kind of maybe the, the female being the more breadwinner, let's say, of the family and, you know, the father or the male figure, you know, staying at home and taking care of the children. So, I think that we have more exposure to be able to see that there is a different way that we can maybe, you know, use 
our voices in a, in a more helpful way. And then, you know, things like social media and, um, you know, and, and friends and just have, having these conversations, being open about having these conversations in spaces where maybe we weren't allowed to have those conversations before. Yeah. I think, um, you know, so many of us are, are quick to be like, yeah, like social media sucks and, and all that stuff, but there's so many great things about social media. Like you said, like women aren't afraid to speak up and, you know, be brave. And, you know, I see women posting, like even today, um, Jenna Kutcher posted something about how, you know, people will be like, oh, is your husband going to babysit? Like no one yeah. says that to the wife, like, oh, is the wife going to babysit? Like no one says that about us, yeah. but it's so weird how people, how people say that, like the, just like the gender roles are just yeah. so like stuck into us that I feel like yeah. sometimes like we just say it and we don't even realize it. Yeah, it, it is. It is unfortunately the default response, right? That the default response is to you know, stick men and women in these, in these very, um, you know, gender profiled roles. Um, so it's, it's about having to, to catch ourselves and to catch other people, right. To kind of call other people out in a gracious, compassionate way. Right. But, you know, like, no, actually my husband is going to spend time with his children, right. Not my husband is going to babysit the kids, right. That type of thing. So, you know, it is about us being braver to be able to, to say things like that and to, to fix or edit things as they're happening kind of in the moment in those conversations. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, social media being, you know, the both sides of the coin, right. Using it for good or for evil type thing. But I, I think that as much as there's the, you know, kind of diet culture or workout culture or comparison side, kind of that way, there's also, you know, a lot of amazing, strong, brave, beautiful women that are saying what they want to say and saying what's on their heart and encouraging others to do the same. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So what, what tips do you have for, you know, women who are really trying to, you know, find their voice? And like we were talking about before we started recording, you know, we're always expected to fill up other people's cups, but we have to take the time to fill our own cups first. So, you know, what are some first steps that women can take to make that time for themselves? Yeah, um, I will. I'll start with one of your favorites, uh, journaling, because I think that that's that's kind of where we start. That's that's where our voice gets out. It gets out onto paper. We're able to organize. We're able. It's really just a space to say whatever the heck you want to say, right? And then we can either burn it or rip it up or keep it to read later. We can do anything that we want with it. So I think that that journaling is definitely the first space to to get more in touch with you know, what we're thinking and what we're feeling. I think a second one would be really enhancing someone's mindfulness practice. So really starting to be aware of, Hey, when I see a visual like that, or when I hear something like that, or when I look at that dynamic between these two characters on TV, what comes up for me? Right. And am I angry? Am I disappointed? Am I complacent? So kind of being more mindful and aware of what our own internal responses to things are. Um, cause like you said, you know, our default is to kind of stay in that lane, um, that society's kind of put for us. So it is a more work on our part to start to be aware of, 
of our own reactions and making sure that we're continuing to push forward rather than kind of stay complacent um, in, in that pattern. So journaling, mindfulness, and having uncomfortable conversations, maybe with our girlfriends to start, right? Or maybe with our partners, whatever is a safe space or a safe person, right? Starting to have the more difficult conversations and in, in those spaces where, you know, it, it can expect ourselves to go, you know, to the grocery store and seeing something being done or, you know, and, and kind of just automatically kind of superhero feminists save the day in that point. We have to start having these conversations with the people that we trust. Um, and I think it's important to remember that people, that we teach people how to treat us. So starting in those interpersonal relationships to have some more of those difficult conversations. So yeah, those three things, journaling, mindfulness, and then having some uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, I really, I really like that third one, the having uncomfortable conversations, especially because like if we want things to change, you know, for the next generation, like for our kids or grandkids or whoever, like, if we want things to be different, we have to do something to change it. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, right now we're talking about, you know, women or female identifying kind of having their voice and getting stronger, but there's so many injustices, right. That are going on that we need to be talking about if, you know, the, the power stays in the secrecy. Um, when I, I was just thinking, when I said that a lot about like ED or disordered eating, a lot of the power is in kind of the, the secrecy of it, right. And kind of the private kind of aspect of it. And that's where the power lies. But once we start to talk about it and to engage other people to help have other people hold us accountable for things to hold other people accountable. I mean, that's where real shifts and changes start happening. That is, that is so good. And that is so true. I think it's so important. I think it shows the importance of, of vulnerability, you know, like we don't have to just sit here and, and think that it's, it's weak to share. Like if you're going through, um, you know, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, um, whatever else you could be struggling with, like talk about it. You talking about it can be, you know, how you help someone else heal, how you help you heal. And I think that's something women really need to start doing is like finding that vulnerability is like the strongest thing that you can do as a woman. Yeah. I mean, it's our superpower. I was just texting with a friend earlier today. And I, I remember typing out like our, our strength is in sharing our struggles, like that, that sharing of our struggles, our shared experiences communicates to other people. Hey, you're not alone. I'm not alone. Like we're in this together. There's a very human experience happening every single day all over the world. And if we don't share or explore what those experiences are with others, then, you know, we're, we're never going to be able to connect in the way that we really want to, um, or, or feel that type of support that we really want to feel. We want to feel supported and seen and heard and loved and cared for, um, and, and in order to, to get to that point, we have to be brave to be vulnerable. Yeah, I, it, it's so true. It's like, we're, we're actually doing other people, uh, a disservice by, yeah, by keeping all these things to ourselves. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. You know, your story could inspire someone else, or your story could help that person that you're telling to be like, 
oh, wow, I'm, I'm not alone or, oh, wow, I thought she had all of her shit together all the time, you know, and, and there was some, you know, jealousy of that or some envy of that or some thought that I was doing something wrong. Right. But now she's sharing and I see she's human, just like I am struggling in, in similar ways. So it can be, can be really helpful. Like you said, almost a gift, right. For those around us. Yeah. Um, and for you, I know that, you, you mentioned to me earlier that you did struggle with, um, an eating disorder. Um, I'm kind of curious what your story behind that is because, you know, I also struggled and I know a lot of my listeners are either struggling with an eating disorder or just disordered eating habits. And, um, I'm just kind of curious your journey and how you got out of it and the realizations that you were like, you know what, I'm ready to make a change. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd love to share. Um, you know, for me, it started pretty early on. I was, um, an, an athlete from as, as young as I can remember. So it was always kind of working out, watching what you ate. Like there was always, um, parameters or kind of, you know, restrictions on things in that way. Um, and I, I think it was probably my freshman year of high school. Um, I was in the spring at my third, uh, third season, um, of, of sports and, um, just started to realize like that I was getting, this was a way that I had some sort of power or control. And I think it's always really been about power or control for me. This is, this is something that's mine. This is something that, that I'm not living up to anybody else's expectation. I'm not doing what they want me to do. Like this is my own, my own way. When, when my life felt so out of control, this was something that I could control. Um, you know, and, and it really stayed, dormant and secret, you know, till probably, um, my junior year of college. So a lot of between, you know, those years there, there was a lot of, um, you know, binge purge cycle or other compensatory behaviors. I mean, college athletics is the perfect breeding ground for secrets that, you know, having to do with, with eating disorders, right? It's nobody questions you if you're at the gym at five o'clock in the morning, and then you go to practice and then you do a run afterwards, right? You're doing it for your sport. So, um, that aspect of things, I think really kind of brought it to a head. Um, I was, a um, captain of my collegiate soccer team. And I, I finally just had to say, like, I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm literally killing myself and my body and I'm, and I think it, also what started to, to realize for me is that I was going into my senior year and I wasn't as good at my sport or my craft because I like physically wasn't able to perform at the level that I know I could have performed. Um, so at that point I, um, I went into treatment. There had been a couple like scares and episodes like fainting and like things like that kind of leading up. Um, but then I did um, check myself into just an outpatient treatment center. So like three hours a day, three evenings a week, um, and, and kind of completed that program. Um, and it was, that was super helpful. Um, I'm not going to say that was, you know, like what I needed and that changed everything, you know, kind of after that, because the, the struggles that women face are, are constant. And when we struggle with something like food or eating disorders, you know, we can't necessarily take a a sobriety or an abstinence approach to it. Right. I mean, we need fuel for our bodies to perform, you know, we, we need the food. We can't just say, you know, I'm not going to have that. Um, so I, I think that it probably wasn't until 
maybe seven or eight years ago that I started to really build a build a healthier relationship with myself and with my body. And that came from a place of big, big, big self-compassion, um, and really working to, to meet that critical voice that I had with a more compassionate voice and allowing kind of for both of those voices to hold space. Um, you know, the critical voice was really protecting me, you know, from, from harm. Um, and the compassionate voice kind of comes in and says, Hey, we don't need that anymore. Like we're good. Like we're, we're doing well now, right? We're not that 14 year old self. We're not that 16 year old self anymore. You know, we have these tools and we have people around us and healthy relationships, you know, that, that can kind of help us thrive. Um, so I'm definitely, a uh, always in recovery type, um, aspect to it, not necessarily a recovered. Um, I, there's, there's not a day that goes by that I don't have a thought about food. Now, when I start to have maybe more obsessive thoughts, or when I start to have maybe more, um, directional thoughts, like the, the good or bad stuff, or, you know, some of, I was listening to another episode that you did about the, you know, disordered eating thing, you know, things like that. So th those are always going to be there because they're always around you know, and so it's more about, okay, like I, I see what I'm doing here, right. Kind of that awareness piece. I see what I'm doing. I'm kind of getting into that black or white, good or bad mindset. Like, what do I need to do to slip back into the gray area? So those are the kind of conversations that, you know, that I have with myself now, instead of, you know, beating myself up for maybe slipping back into a thought pattern that I was in before or something like that, just kind of finding it with more compassion. Um, but it, it's not, you know, I'm not like healed or fixed or, you know, any, anything like that. I mean, it's still something, you know, that, that impacts my, my day to day. It's just about how much power I let it have and what I've used to kind of replace some of that thought process with. And it's a lot of compassion, a lot of acceptance and, and really being mindful of what's driving my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. See, so, yeah, I, I love your story because something that, you know, I, I think when I hear it is like, you didn't just like go to treatment and then you came out and you're like, Oh, I'm better. And I, <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people think that if, you know, that doesn't happen to them, like something's wrong with them or, you know, they expect that, you know, if they are struggling with, you know, their physical health their mental health, um, anything like that, that it's something that I guess can just be fixed. And I think yeah. we need to change that mindset. Like, when you're healing from an eating disorder or you're going to therapy for anxiety or depression, you're not looking to be fixed. You're looking to get the proper tools so you can better handle that situation. Cause like you said, with, with food, it's not like you can just, you know, quit it cold Turkey. It's not like smoking or alcohol where you can just get rid of it. It's, I like to say that, you know, I had someone else tell me this when you have struggles, like an eating disorder, it's, going to start in your brain, like this big giant ball. And, and over time it will get smaller and smaller and it yeah. might not appear as often, but it's still going mm -hmm. to appear and it's going to be there. But that's why it's so important to equip yourself with the proper tools because like, you're not just going to get rid of it. You know, there's yeah. always going to be a little piece of it there. And I think people, you know, especially um, people who are struggling with, eating disorders, they need to realize like, just because you're not healed or recovered doesn't right. mean that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And you know, this, this idea of, of being recovered, 
and eating disorder in the eating disorder community can, can be really harmful. Um, you know, I, I think that I'm hoping that maybe initially it was thought, you know, to be something that was hopeful for people, right? Like, you know, I'm presenting that I I'm, I'm healed and I'm recovered and you can be too, right. In that, in that type of way. So I'm hoping that it came from a place of wanting to be hopeful for people initially, but I, I just really see it as, as more harmful, um, because it takes away any of the nuances, any of the in-between things, any of the thoughts, you know, that we have and leaves people being like, well, crap, I just overate, you know, that. So does that mean that now I've relapsed in my eating disorder? Right. So just the language, we have to be careful about the language that, you know, that we use around it. Um, so yeah, when you were talking about, you know, recovered, it's just, it kind of get like, you know, fired up about that because ah. it can be, can be really harmful for people, you know, to me, that's continuing with the idea that there's a perfection that we need to reach. And once we get there, then we'll be recovered. Right. But instead we're just really like imperfect, messy human beings. Right. And there's no, no, not this, like I'm, I'm done, you know, kind of growing or learning or healing or recovered space. Yeah. Cause that's just assuming that you either are recovered or you aren't recovered. And that goes back to the whole black or white. Yeah, so I so kind of like in between. <laughs> there is exactly. And we're not always going to be at one, like we're going to, we're going to be floating back and forth yeah. and, and that's okay. So I think, you know, like you were talking about the language, the fact that you say that you were in recovery, this is like yeah. your recovery journey. I think that is, that is a mindset. I think we all need to try to shift over to in that we are in recovery and whatever our struggles are. And, yeah. you know, I think that gives us more grace and self-compassion for if we aren't perfect or if we don't have, you know, the best um, day with food or the best day with our anxiety or depression. So what do you, I know you love to talk about like self-compassion and just being compassionate toward yourself. So can you talk about like the importance of that while healing from, you know, whatever mental health struggles you have or, you know, eating disorder specifically? Yeah. I, I mean, my biggest kind of thing that I want to hone in is that self-compassion is it's a practice. It's something that we have to do every single day. We have to be aware of what our tendencies are. We have to work to or unlearn those harmful tendencies and then incorporate more of these helpful tendencies into our life. So it's definitely a practice, you know, kind of like everything, a lifelong kind of practice. You know, we never, we're never like a professional self-compassionate person. So it's something that we're always working towards. Um, you know, I, I think the, there's a couple different things when I'm talking about self-compassion that I think is really important. One of which is to get out of our mind and into our bodies when we're feeling an uncomfortable feeling or an undesirable feeling, like let's say guilt, like we're feeling guilt for eating that thing, or we're feeling guilt for not, you know, not working out or feeling guilt for having to say no to someone, right? Because our anxiety is so high, we can't even think about going outside today. So when we start to have that feeling of guilt, where are we feeling it in our bodies? Are we feeling it in our chest? Are we feeling it in our stomach? Does it come in in our shoulders? Um, are we clenching our jaw? So I start to kind of get out of here and more into here because this is where the feeling lives. Um, and so working towards that and, and wherever we feel it to start to 
to breathe into softening around wherever we feel it. So for me, a lot of the time it's in, it's in my stomach. And so I'll, I'll start to just kind of do some, some deep breathing and kind of picture the, the angst that's around that kind of ball of knots right in my stomach, starting to loosen up and, and starting to, to soften in that way. So I, I think that that's a big thing, kind of getting out of our head and into our bodies. Um, I think the second big thing that I would say is not to give our critical self-talk so much hate. I, you know, it's, we're so critical of our critical self, right. We're coming, we're kind of in this space of self-compassion. And so to me, it's more about meeting our critical self and kind of like sitting side by side with them, right. And kind of exploring what their purpose is and what their intent is. And then being able to meet that with compassion in that way, instead of, Oh, you know, I'm doing that thing again, where I'm beating myself up all the time. I'm supposed to be compassionate. Why can't I just get it together? Right. Like that, that type of verbiage is more like, okay, I see you self-critical voice coming in right now. Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? What do you, what do you want, you know, out of this situation and then kind of meeting it with, okay, like I get it, but we're human. And this, this was a, a mistake, you know, and humans make mistakes. Um, and so kind of being able to meet it with a little bit of, of compassion, like we're already feeling like crap about it. Like we don't need to beat ourselves up at, you know, even more about it in that kind of way. So meeting and kind of befriending our, our critical voice, I, I think is, is pretty important. And then the third is just, you know, cause some people are like, I don't even know what it looks like to be self-compassionate. I don't even know what, you know, and I said, well, are you compassionate towards other people? Like, do you show compassion towards other people when they're having a hard time? Do you support them? You know, think about someone that you really love, like how, and they're having a difficult time, you know, how, how would you show up for them in this moment? What would you say? How would you want to make them feel? And then how can we turn that around and do that, you know, back to ourselves? So really the simplest, right? Like, would you talk to a friend that way? Like, would you, you know, would you talk to your partner that way? Would you talk to someone that was suffering like that? Would you kick them while they're down? Like, probably not. So being able to, um, to treat ourselves, you know, the, the way with the same compassion and patience and love and gentleness that we treat other people when they're having a hard time. Yeah. I, I like to, to tell people that, you know, you want to treat yourself the same way you treat a best friend, because you're going to like yourself is the only person you're going to be with your entire life. So it's like, why are you so mean to yourself? And, you know, with you talking about self-compassion, I think a lot of it really starts with like Mm self-awareness. I don't even think so many people are aware of the negativity that goes on in their brain. And, you know, like you said, you don't just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to be compassionate. Like it's a practice. (laughs) You have to choose to do it every day. And I don't think people realize like the forces that are working against us on a daily basis, you know, like every single day you see, you know, certain things on social media, like people posting pictures of themselves with, you know, filters, you know, um, or being like, Oh, um, I'm hustling and grinding, working 12 hours a day. Like we see all these things, um, in society, on the media. And that's like, it's, it's like, it's like a practice 
that's going against what we should be practicing. So it's like so unfair to ourselves to be like, I'm going to practice self-compassion. And then after a couple of days being like, eh, it's not working. It's too hard. Yeah, I guess, I guess I can't do it. One more thing I failed at, right? <laughs> exactly. And it's something like we just have to choose to do it every day. And it's going to be hard in the beginning because, you know, you have never done it before. It's so easy to to talk negatively to ourselves. Yeah. 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 And just emphasizing practice, something that we have to have to practice. And that, I mean, that goes with, with anything, you know, when we're talking about like, uh, skills for anxiety, right. Or, or, um, reframing, you know, anxious thoughts or managing depressive thoughts or, or anything like that. It's not, you know, it, it's not as easy as, okay, I'm going to start doing it today. And then it's just, you know, and then it's just going to shift, right. It's, it's something, I think the part that people don't realize the most, that's the most important is the unlearning part. So the, the awareness, the unlearning, and then the learning something that's more helpful instead of harmful for anyone individually. So that unlearning part where we're constantly being forced to forced to do, because like you said, we're constantly being bombarded with different types of messages. So the awareness part, absolutely. Then the unlearning and then the learning. I, I like that, that topic of, of unlearning. So what do you think are some steps people can take to unlearn, but what are also some things that we all as a society or as women, people identify as women, what we need to unlearn like right now? <laughs> yeah, I would say, um, the, the biggest one would be that there's, um, one of the biggest ones when we're talking about like body or body image, right. Is that there's, there's this one ideal of what beautiful looks like. Right. So in, in the Western culture, right. It's like sharp features, lighter skin, blonder hair, you know, slim, you know, all of those types of things. So really start to unlearn that there's one way to be the most beautiful, you know, even when we're talking about our, our physical appearance in that way, I think is, is a big, is a big part. Um, Second one, probably to unlearn, and this could go on a whole different, different topic, but un unlearn, um, that th there are some emotions that we're not supposed to feel or express. So things like disappointment or things like anger or things like frustration, right? Those are, are much more acceptable for a, a male or male identifying person to express, right? But not so much for a female identifying person to express. So that's, that's a big one too, kind of that, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm angry, you know, and then it becomes like, the, the angry woman or the mad woman, right? Or I think about like back in the Freudian times, it was like, everyone had hysteria, right? Because the women were like feeling feelings that everyone feels and it was, you know, labeled, uh, you know, hysteria. So I, I think that that's another, another one is to unlearn that there are certain feelings that women aren't allowed to express. Um, yeah. And probably the third one, you know, just that we, we talked about before is unlearning this idea that, um, we need to be ashamed of the struggles that we're having. We need to be ashamed that we're struggling in general. Um, so kind of unlearning that, that there's nothing to be ashamed of in that space, that we're humans having a human experience. And sometimes it's just really hard. 
Um, but that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us, right? Or that we're not good enough or handling it well enough or, or whatever. So I would say really unlearning that idea, um, that shame that comes with um, having a difficult time for women. Because there is this idea, right? That we just have all the balls, you know, we're juggling all the things all the time and everything's able to just magically, you know, magically happen. Um, but the reality is, is it takes a lot of work and sometimes it doesn't happen. There's a lot of suffering that goes with that. So I would say unlearning. Yeah. This idea of like, um, forget what the phrase is, but kind of, um, oh, like we, we can have it all. Like the, the phrase that, you know, women can, women can have it all, um, kind of came maybe out of the sixties, like feminist movement there. But I think what it's, what it's turned into again, I think coming from a very, hopeful place, right? Kind of this place of, of equality, but ultimately what ends up happening is that we, we switched somewhere from, we can have it all to, we have to have it all and do it all. So it switched somewhere, you know, in, yeah. in that space. So I think that that's, that's a big one too, you know, for us as women to be, you know, the best uh, wife, the best mom, the best, you know, fitness guru, the best chef, the best friend, the be you know, all of the bests, right. And, and all of the things. So it's shifted somewhere from, we can do anything that we want to do to, we have to do all of the things. Yeah, that's, that's so true because, you know, during this conversation, it kind of got me thinking, like, I feel like, like, what about the women who want to be like that stay-at-home mom who want to have that more maternal role? Yeah. And I feel like kind of now, because we're so like, oh, women empowerment, that is kind of looked down on if you decide to take that more traditional role. And I think it goes to exactly what you were saying. We think that we have to have it all. Right. And I, I think there's something, you know, also empowering about, you know, choosing to be a stay at home mom to have the more traditional route, if that's what you truly Perfect. want to do. Because I think a lot of women think that they have to go the opposite route, because, you know, you know, how, how dare I, you know, stay at home, how, you know, how dare I actually want to have kids, you know, I, I like what you're saying. It's, it gets, everything just goes back to the whole all or nothing mindset. And we just, yeah, it's extreme. Um, you know, and, and that's human nature. I mean, we humans, humans want a, a, a this or a that humans want only two choices because, you know, having 100 choices to choose from feels really overwhelming. And we're so worried about not making the right choice. So if there's a right or a wrong, and we always choose the right, you know, then that feels somehow safer to us. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's everything is on a spectrum, you know, everything, you know, has, has the rainbow of colors for what someone could possibly show up as. And yeah, I, I love what you're saying too, about, you know, looking down on, or maybe even, um, you know, I think of like uh, maybe someone saying, well, don't you want more? Like, don't you want to do more with your life? And it's like, what if I'm actually so fulfilled and I'm intentionally making this decision for myself and my family and, and this makes me feel so full. And then you're telling me that, you know, don't you want to do more? And then I start to feel bad about not doing more. So yeah, I, I, I love that part of it too. You know, that, that 
sometimes our, our desire for shift and changes can cause us to go all the way to the other end instead of figuring out kind of where we individually feel comfortable in the middle of those two extremes. Exactly. Like what you're saying with the, the right or wrong, there's so much like in the middle that yeah. we need to realize that we're all so unique and we all have different likes and wants and, and preferences. And, you know, you could be that female who is, you know, top of the corporate ladder, earning six, seven figures and still not be fulfilled just because yeah. you're doing what is looks amazing in other people's eyes. It doesn't mean that you're fulfilled. And I think this all goes back to the whole topic of unlearning. I think something we all need to realize is kind of to challenge, challenge the social norms. Um, Cause like, even, I think it's kind of weird that like in elementary school and high school, like, especially high school, we're supposed to take every single subject and like, we're expected to get A's in every single subject. Like, why is that a thing? Like, why is it like why can't we just be expected to you know like what if someone's really good at math and science and then they're not the best at history it doesn't make them a bad student or a bad kid it makes them unique and special and gifted in their own areas yeah absolutely I mean or even you know just traditional learning environments right our traditional learning institutions right are, are so rigid in a certain way things are so objective kind of in, in that way. Right. And then we're starting to see now that people learn in different ways. Some people learn by doing, some people learn by hearing, some people learn by writing, you know, by getting their hands dirty type thing. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the educate institution of education is a whole, you know, (laughs) is definitely a, a whole nother podcast episode in and of itself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's just, like you said, there's so much more we can get into. But I think the biggest te- takeaway of our conversation today is, you know, be self-compassionate, be okay with living in the gray zone, in the gray area, and strive to to unlearn things that society has made us feel, like you said, is, is the default. Yeah. Yeah. Just get curious. Like, this is my initial reaction. Why? Where did this come from? Right? Where, where I, you know, curiosity is, is also something that gets lost in adulthood um, that can be really helpful for us at times like these. Yep. We just need to be like that, that three-year-old, three-year-old who just asks why, why, yeah. why, why? <laughs> <laughs> or we'll try anything, you know, anything yes. once type thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and not be scared to fail. I think that's right. something that's, that's taught when we get older is, you know, the fear of failing. And when we're younger, we're not, we're not afraid. So just, yeah. you know, going back to going back to the roots, because these are all things that have been taught to us. And we think it's just so normal, but we got to unlearn it. Yeah. Unlearn it. So where can our listeners connect with you, reach out to you, find you on social media? Yeah. Um, so Instagram and Facebook is at grow good psych G R O W G O O D P S P S Y C H. (laughs) Um, and then growgoodpsychology.com is, is our website. Um, you know, we are doing in-person and telehealth sessions, you know, all, all, telehealth all throughout the state of California. And we'll be start doing in person again next month, um, in, in San Diego. Um, but we have some amazing therapists on staff, um, you know, that are just, uh, just amazing humans. And, you know, if you're looking for kind of that first step 
and kind of where to go to start your health and healing and growing journey, um, definitely give us a look. Awesome. I will link all that in the show notes so people can connect with you, but thank you so much, May, for coming on. And I love today's conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, that is it for today's episode. But if you are ready to just unlearn everything that diet culture has taught you, if you are ready to just ditch diets, learn how to love yourself, be confident in the body that you are currently in while still working toward your health and fitness goals, please reach out to me for one-on-one coaching. I would love to work with you. I want to teach you how to properly nourish your body, how to fuel your body, and how to not associate food and guilt together. You do not need to feel guilty about eating your favorite foods, and you can still eat the foods you love and reach and accomplish your health and fitness goals and just be the most confident version of yourself. And I want to be there with you for that journey. So if you are interested in one-on-one coaching, you can email me at thisismirandalee at gmail.com or you can reach out to me on Instagram at thisismirandalee. I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your day and just remember to practice self-compassion and to love yourself no matter what society says. Bye.